Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include servicing income, my interview with entrepreneur and author Alexandra Nolan on launching and growing a successful business, and not everyone is excited by the FHA mortgage insurance premium cut. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Agile, bringing the mortgage capital markets into a new digital era. From lenders to dealers, Agile is the new way to quote MBS. Learn more at trade-agile.com. Remember, not all math puns are terrible. Just some. (laughs) Analyzing residential servicing is a combination of math and psychology. If you were an institution thinking of buying mortgage servicing rights or MSRs, or a lender running the numbers on retaining servicing rather than selling it to an aggregator like Amerihome or PennyMac, you don't like hearing the saying, marry the house, date the rate. Actually, I don't like hearing that, period. You'd prefer that the loans stay on your books well into the future because you want the monthly cash flow. In 2020 and 2021, origination income was dominant. But in 2022, servicing income won the day for those who owned it. What will happen to servicing in 2023? No one has a crystal ball, but if rates stay in the fives or sixes, loans funded in 2020 and 2021 still stick. Prepayments have plummeted, as no one wants to pay off their 2.875% loan. Of course, there are numerous parties slicing and dicing the numbers and running mathematical equations to figure out just how quickly those loans will prepay. As I noted yesterday, the Biden administration announced a 30 basis point cut in the mortgage insurance premium, or MIP, for FHA borrowers. It's important to note MIP is paid on top of the mortgage rate, so the cut will have no effect on best execution for lenders. This will certainly impact affordability for lower-income borrowers, but most think it will have little effect on prepayment speeds in the short run. In even more of a primer, the MIP is a monthly fee that homeowners with FHA-insured mortgages pay to insure their mortgages paid on top of the monthly principal and interest payments. Based on the average FHA mortgage amount of around $270,000, borrowers would see significant savings of approximately $800 annually. This reduction in MIP will lower housing costs for an estimated 850,000 homebuyers and homeowners in 2023. Good news, right? Not so fast. Seth Appleton, president of U.S. Mortgage Insurers, USMI, that works primarily with Fannie and Freddie, and a former guest of this podcast, stated, After a nod to removing barriers to homeownership and FHA's role in it, the decision to reduce annual premiums on FHA-insured mortgages is well-intended, but could result in unintended consequences for both FHA and the borrowers it seeks to serve. For borrowers, FHA's pricing action may make home buying more challenging by driving up home prices even more and impairing the ability of low and moderate income, first-time, and minority buyers to access homeownership. For FHA, reduced premiums decrease its fiscal resiliency in an environment of economic uncertainty and volatile interest rates. FHA's pricing policies should be actuarially sound and promote prudent long-term risk management that allows it to weather all economic scenarios in order to support future borrowers. Given the volatility in the housing market, FHA must be prepared for the risks associated with an increase in defaults and depreciation of home values while retaining the capacity to play its important counter-cyclical role. It's also important to ensure the taxpayer-backed FHA market 
operates in a consistent, coordinated manner with the conventional market, which provides access to affordable homeownership with private capital that protects taxpayers from undue credit risk. End quote. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show entrepreneur and author Alexandra Nolan. Up until 2012, she was working in corporate America, making a great salary and jet-setting across the U.S. at the drop of a hat. But she noticed that while she checked every box and had every marker possible for a good life, something was out of balance. She didn't want to stay in her corporate job only to spend the last bit of life living up to her full potential. She knew this wasn't the way she wanted to move forward. So with that, she quit her corporate job and set out on a spontaneous journey of entrepreneurship. For MLOs and others that eat what they kill, so to speak, the unconventional entrepreneur doesn't need a college degree, loads of money, investments, a team of employees, or an office building. All that's needed to achieve the work-life dream and entrepreneurial success is the drive and passion to do so. So today's discussion, I want to center around believing in oneself and entrepreneurship, and, and you're really an inspiring story about how you were grinding away and in, in, in corporate America and, and not feeling it really. And then now you've you've launched your self in, in so many different businesses and you wrote a book and, and you've been successful doing it. So I, I, I want to start by asking you, can you tell me about your time in corporate America and kind of the decision making behind leaving it and launching your own business? Yes, absolutely. So and by the way, I loved corporate America. So I like to start with that because I I worked for a great company and I don't want um, my decision, anyone to think otherwise, as far as having a negative feeling about the company I worked with, loved it, loved it, was climbing my way to the top. Um, I, I was in my mid twenties at the time and, um, I had a great job. I was traveling from, if, if you can imagine California and draw a straight line all the way across the country to the city of Baltimore, all of the States underneath that, uh, was my territory and I was traveling alone. So I didn't have, you know, I, I basically, you know, was making my sales, had the company card, traveling alone and doing my own thing, booked my own trips. It was just, I really couldn't have asked for a better, more exciting job as a uh, mid 20 year old woman. But there was this internal pull and desire. Um, I just had this creative need. And, and I really wanted to, while I was loving my job, I was meeting people out on the road, um, hearing other entrepreneurs' stories, and just, I don't know, I just i just had this desire to really jump out there and, and start my own thing. And so I'll never forget, I, I'm, I, I tell this story because I'm proud of the older me, although it's uh, the newer or the, or the, well, I guess it, I'm proud of the younger me. The older me would not be this uh, risk risky. But it, I was in Baltimore, no, I was in Birmingham. And um, I was about to go to a customer meeting and I just, something popped in my head and I said, you know, I have really been wanting to start a um, makeup studio slash boutique. Back up just a little bit. I, I had launched a cosmetic line while I was working for corporate America. It was like my little side gig. And I was like, you know, I really want to kind of do this full time, but I don't think that a boutique could uh, just be stand on its own with just makeup. I need clothing. I need all the things. But I thought, I'm going to call. I lived in this area um, called Harbor Town, is a little island out, outside of Memphis. And I thought, I'm going to call. And if there is any kind of commercial availability on the island, I'm going to take it. And then that's going to be my sign. 
But mind you, I will say that I like 90%, sh- 99% sure at the time that there wasn't going to be any availability because I lived there and there was no opening in their com- their tiny little commercial district of maybe like 10 spaces for years and years and years. But I was kind of trying to silence my inner self by saying, I'm going to call and see. And they're going to say no, I'm thinking. And then I'm like, and then I'll just continue on my corporate path. Well, I called that morning and the man who manages the building said, you know, you called at the perfect time. About 10 minutes ago, I just got off the phone with the tanning salon that's been down here for 15 years and they're not renewing their lease. And we're about to put that retail space on the market and now and announce that it's available. And I don't expect it to last a week rolling with it, I'm doing it. And so I signed my life away to a commercial lease um, and put in my two weeks notice and started on this journey that has been a fun little roller coaster ever since. <laughs> Holy smokes. Well, I I want to applaud you for, for taking that leap of faith, but so many people that I talk to that want to do their own thing, uh, I don't know if it's that they don't believe in themselves, but they just don't, they can't quite bring themselves to put in their two weeks and, and go. Where'd your self-belief come from? What gave you the confidence to actually do it? Are you just, you said, oh, by chance this is available. So it's a sign from the universe. I should do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to say at the time it's confidence is definitely um, not, it was not the theme at the time. I was honestly just putting, I was just betting on myself. It really was just, uh, I can either continue working for some, excuse me, working for someone else, or I can just bet on myself and try this. And and I knew I had the skill set that if it didn't work out, I could come back and and hopefully, you know, on my hands and knees and beg for my job back. But I just knew this is it. If I don't bet on myself in life, no one else is going to. So I need to do it. And, you know, you're right. A lot of people, they don't, they don't get past that. They, the idea pops up in their head and it's always just an idea. It's never, it never comes to fruition. And I always tell people, Because a lot of folks think, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur. I can't do that. I always tell people, if the idea has popped in your head and you've daydreamed about it, you are absolutely an entrepreneur. Every single entrepreneur gets to, that's the first step. So congratulations, you've taken the first step of what every single entrepreneur before you has taken, which is to have the idea, cultivate the creative, um, your creative juices and really dream about what that life would look like. This is where people fall through the cracks. Fear prevents them from actually executing that idea. And they think, I can't do this, or I'm not like them. I, you know, they've created these this successful business and all of these things. And that's great for them, but that's not me. No, it is. It's just you have to push past that. It's so scary. It's 1000 percent getting out of your comfort zone. But if you can get over that little hump, then I won't say everything's smooth sailing. I mean, it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. But that is one of the biggest obstacles is that very, that you get excited and you have the creative thoughts and then all of a sudden you shut yourself down and you never look back. And, and it's just getting over that obstacle. You'll propel yourself and you'll, and you'll bet on yourself and you'll believe in yourself and you'll, you'll do whatever you got to do to make it happen. Well, I think a lot of people certainly dream about being their own boss and, and you've made that a reality, but I, I think it begs the question, how do you practice time management? How do you spend your days? How do you keep yourself engaged and productive? Um, seems like if I was my own boss, I just, I'd slough off and be drinking a, a Mai Tai at 2 PM looking out the window or something like that. <laughs> 
yeah, that's 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 the fun part of it. You do get to do that when you're your own boss, but you're right. You have to you have to really um, you know, pull back the reins, tie yourself down to it and be committed to it. Um, you know, it really is a throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks kind of situation. So, you know, you've got all of these I'm such a big picture person. So I have all these big picture ideas. And oftentimes it was in the beginning, especially, it was very hard for me to take that big picture and say, okay, let me compartmentalize each piece of this picture. You know, I need to network. So that's this compartment over here. I need to market. This is this compartment. I need to build a brand. I need to have inventory. Like it was hard for me to really segment the big picture, like a pizza pie, cut it up into little to little pieces. And a lot of it was just, you know, coming up with the ideas and just seeing what worked and what didn't for my life. But I would say just, you know, being in business now for over, gosh, going on 13 years for myself, um, compartmentalizing, you know, tying yourself down, getting getting the the dirty stuff and, and the hard stuff done before you uh, let yourself pull your hair down, let your hair down and have those my ties. <laughs> That's a very good point. So I want to talk about being entrepreneurial and, and it's, you know, you said it, people are even thinking about it. They're already one step of the way there. I think everybody has an entrepreneurial spark in them, whether they realize it or not, you know, it could be, be you did a lemonade stand a couple of times when you were a kid growing up or whatever it might be. And each scenario is different, obviously, but what advice would you give those that are thinking of being more entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial in general? There's so much advice, gosh. Um, I would say, and this is this is kind of when I first started, when I started my first business, it was one thing I failed to do. And it seems so simple. And people would be like, wow, you didn't do this. And, and now it's something I do with every business. You know, I get so excited and I just jump with both feet in and without doing research or I the younger me did. Do your research. Um, there are so many free resources, especially with Google these days. Um, there are so many online courses or academies that you can sign up for, free knowledge, um, some low cost, you know, paid knowledge as well. Do your research, take the time. Um, what I've learned is when I do research, you know, I, I've got, I'll have a big picture idea and I immediately have it in my head. This is how I'm going to execute and this is how I'm going to do it. But if you take the time to do the research, if you want to make money quick, which uh, that's ma a main goal of most entrepreneurs, you want to make sure that you know what you're doing. You won't know all the things, but that you prep yourself. Making money quick, but also making money in a sustainable way or a way that can be scaled is also important. So I want to close here with a very qualitative question. And you you mentioned your younger self a couple of times. What have you learned about yourself over these last 13 years and, and also kind of about human nature since you left your day job? You know, uh, I don't know that I, maybe I would, I don't want to say this. Okay. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. I don't know that I would have ever truly known who I am. I'm not trying to tie it all to the business. I mean, I, I know who I am, but I wouldn't have known that I had the guts, um, or that I would be willing to take the risk or that I could just put myself out there had I never done this. Um, you know, it really was that initial decision to say, you know what, you know, when I first had, when I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I didn't really know that I could do it. It was just that initial decision to say, Hey, I'm going to put, 
I'm, I'm betting all on black. I'm putting it all on me. All the chips are going in this bucket and we're just going to roll with it and see what happens. And I surprised myself. And, and it's something that um, I don't know that I ever would have known that side of me ever in life had I not done it. So um, it, it, it's a, it's kind of an emotional time to think about when I did that. Um, but I suggest anyone who's considering becoming an entrepreneur, you know, put all those chips on yourself and, and, and check it out. Cause you'll learn that, that you can do some pretty amazing things. And before I let you go, give us a little plug here. What, what website should we be looking at of yours? What's the name of your book? How, how, uh, how can we best support you? Okay. Yeah. So I am one of my businesses now is um, I do a lot of national uh, brand promotions. Um, and so I do that mainly through my Instagram platform. Uh, my Instagram handle is Alex at it's the at symbol. Uh, my, my handle is Alexandra.Nicole um, on Instagram. And I post um, daily on their stories daily and, and, and interact with the audience there. And I also have my blog, which is citychicliving.com. My book is, there is a link to my book on Instagram and a link on the blog. And in that book, I've got a lot of actual exercises that um, like QR code printable worksheets, different things you can do if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, or even if you're a seasoned entrepreneur, uh, different things you can do to spice up that business, launch your brand and really live that work-life dream. Alexander, thank you so much for making the time today. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Moving on to bonds, we finally had some relief from the recent rise in rates yesterday. Because even a dead cat bounces when it hits the sidewalk. Right? Right? The minutes of the most recent meeting of U.S. Federal Reserve officials indicated further rate hikes, with most members of the FOMC supporting a slower pace. Recessionary concerns were also raised, with some participants seeing elevated prospects of a recession this year. St. Louis Fed President Bullard, a noted hawk, said yesterday morning that markets have overpriced the chance of a recession and that the Fed funds rate range will have to be lifted past 5% to tame inflation. Today's calendar included a busy start with the second look at Q4 GDP in at 2.7% compared to the 2.9% expected, and weekly jobless claims in at 192,000 versus last week's 200,000 with continuing claims coming in at 1.654 million. The core PCE deflator was 4.3%. Later this morning brings Kansas City Fed Manufacturing, a treasury auction of $35 billion of seven-year notes, Freddie Mac's latest primary mortgage market survey, and remarks from two Fed presidents, Atlanta's Bostitch and San Francisco's Daily. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse an eighth to a quarter, the two-year yielding 4.72, and the 10-year yielding 3.97% after closing yesterday at 3.92%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. The fact that some people can't distinguish between etymology and entomology bugs me in ways I can't quite put into words. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Agile, bringing the mortgage capital markets into a new digital era. From lenders to dealers, Agile is the new way to quote MBS. To learn more, visit trade-agile.com. about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary.
to listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.